Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's Matthew, uh, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Can we all rise for the reading of God's word? For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went on at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, could I get some more lights so I could see you guys? Not on me, but on them. <laughs> Join me as we continue to worship, as we pray. Jesus, we come before you and pray that for those of us who come with heavy hearts, you comfort us. And those of us with complacent hearts, you disturb us. So that at the end, we draw closer to you And in hearing your voice, respond to you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Today as we begin the message, I'm going to ask a couple of volunteers to um, do a little introduction. So I'm going to ask some of my brothers to come up. So I'm going to ask uh, Eugene to stand here and Sung to stand here. So 
Eugene represents you and me, okay? And he's been working hard. He's been working some overtime shifts. Instead of uh, buying his lunch, a couple of times a week, he, he packed his lunch. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, he did little different things, and he was able to you know, save up some money and, um, because he, he, he's been waiting to upgrade his phone. And um, he's, he's been waiting to upgrade to uh, iPhone 10, um, or if you want, you know, Google Pixel 2, whatever. Or whatever that he's been really thinking about and planning. And he saved up some cash. So when I preached a similar sermon at the youth group, I brought 10 Monopoly money and showed it. I thought it would be ugh, kind of cheesy. So today I brought my most expensive sermon illustration. So Eugene, here's one, two. He's going to give it back, okay? You guys make sure you keep your eye on him. Two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So this is Eugene's hard-earned money that he saved up because he's been waiting. Now, so he he goes to a bank. Now, Song's gonna play the bank, <laughs> and he's gonna deposit. He fills out this slip. I don't know if you guys still go to banks, but he he deposits his money, um, and Song, you know, takes it into keeps it in his uh, bank. Now, this is a relationship of a sort, and there's a trust that's going on here, and I think attorneys would call this a fiduciary trust relationship that's established. Eugene waits, finally the day comes when he can order, and you know, do you prefer Pixel or Google, um, iPhone? Android. All right, whatever. <laughs> so, he, he orders his phone, and because he actually saved up the money, he goes to the bank to make the withdrawal because he wants to pay for it. So he, Eugene goes to the bank and he fills out his withdrawal slip and goes up to the teller and gives a slip. But the teller, he, you're not the teller right now. So the teller looks at Eugene and in receiving the slip and the account number begins to kind of get a little concerned and say, oh, you're that Eugene. The manager needs to see you. So Eugene enters the office, and manager begins to kind of twiddle his thumb, and he's like, oh no. Sung tells Eugene, sorry Eugene, I, I actually needed some stuff. Now, by the way, Sung would never do this, so, <laughs> and say, says to Eugene, you know that phone that you were thinking of, I actually wanted the phone, and I didn't have the money, so I actually spent your money to buy the phone that I needed. I don't know. And Eugene begins to kind of freak out. It's like, you spent my money on what? And he begins to think, first he thinks it's like a joke. It's like, is there a camera somewhere around here? But then some convinces them that this is the real deal. And he begins to realize that, you know, his money has been mismanaged. Now, hopefully we've never experienced a Bernie Madoff experience in our lives, but let's pause for a sec. Instead of Eugene being you and me, an average person here, and Sung being the banker, 
What if you and I could see ourselves as us as Sung? And Eugene with the money as God. Because biblically speaking, that is the correct way of viewing the resources that God has given us. God gave each one of us treasures and resources to manage. And when God gives us, he never changed the ownership. It's a temporary management or stewardship. Now, let's give a hand to those, and I need my money back. (laughs) Thank you, guys. If you were to evaluate your life right now, and you are the CFO of what God has given you to manage, how would, and you know, God returns and evaluates how you've been managing, what would God say of you? What would God say of me? Would he say, good job, faithful servant? Or would he say something else? Um, Many of us, including myself, we've grown up hearing this passage probably preached numerous times. I, for one, have listened probably to over a dozen sermons from different pastors in my life. And for the vast majority of those sermons, they've been focusing on the word talent as problematic of the English word, talents and abilities, natural talents, spiritual gifts, and how we are to use them for God and God's kingdom. And those are important arenas of understanding stewardship because everything means everything. However, one of the challenges in it, and I've been at fault too, for the vast majority of my you know, time in serving as a pastor, I probably preach this passage more often in the context of the word talent as talenting, using the talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts for God's kingdom. However, this passage is actually really more about financial stewardship, financial management of what God has given us. Now, in the New Testament time, the word talent was, it was a weight term that was used to describe the value of currency. Scholars would range differently, but on an average, it was about 20 years worth of a day laborer. So when I used to hear this part, I'm like, 20 years of a laborer's wage, that's a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. Someone who received five talents would be, that's like 100 years of wage. Two talents would be 40 years of wage. One talent would be 20 years of wage. But let me pause you, because those numbers might be just way too big. But if you began working at age 25, let's say, and you earn an annual income of $30,000 a year, and you work for 40 years. Now, that's twice as much as 20 years, but let's say you're gonna work for 40 years from 25 to 65. Your life uh, income will be about $1.2 million. Many of us in this room will be managing at least a million dollars in our lifetime. 
And that's assuming you get no raise. But I know all of you guys are hard workers. You should be. And you'll get pay raises. So you'll be earning more and more as you continue to grow and show that you're adding value to whatever organization you belong to. But let's say you earn $60,000 a year with no pay increase, you will double that to $2.4 million. So you would be managing in your lifetime $2.4 million. That's a lot of money that God's going to give temporarily for many of us to manage in our lifetime. And for a handful, God's going to give you five times of that. $150,000 a year times 40, that's $6 million. Instead of thinking these numbers as unrealistic big numbers to just to make a point, the more I think about this passage, I realize that these numbers are very realistic numbers that most of us in our lifetime will be managing for God. I mean, instead of thinking lump sum one million, but in our lifetime, we will be stewarding. So the question is, if God were to come back and examine my stewardship of his resources in my lifetime, would he be able to say to me, Paul, you've been faithful with little. I'm pleased with you. Come into the joy of my presence. I'm going to give you more to manage for my glory. Would I hear that? Would we hear that from our Lord? The New Testament word steward actually comes from a Greek word. Um, It comes from a word that most of us will know, ekonomos. The word economy comes from that. And that comes from a combination of two different words. One, oikos, means house. Nomos, nemo, meaning manage. So it's about managing your household. When we studied Genesis, Abraham's servant who went out to find Isaac's future wife, he was a economist. Now, Old Testament wouldn't use that word, but he would have been considered as a steward because he's managing Abraham's family, his household. When Joseph was the, the, the top leader on the Potiphar, he would have been the economist, the, the steward of Potiphar's household, managing everything, and he took that with utmost seriousness. And the steward's job was to manage money, resources, property of all that the household owner owned. And, in, and Jesus actually uses the very word in Luke 12 in the very similar context of um, referring to a faithful, wise manager. You can look it up, Luke 12, 42. That word is economos. That's a steward. And that is a very similar context of the passage we read today from Matthew passage. So if I don't own anything, and if you don't own anything, and I'm simply managing what belongs to God, I have to remind myself that I need to be faithful and I need to be wise as I manage what belongs to God, that I reflect, that my management reflects his desires. And I don't know about you, but I have to remind myself on a regular daily basis that Money doesn't belong to me. But I easily shift gear and think that I do own it. And God has to remind me again, I never transferred 
ownership here, Paul. You are only temporarily managing it for me. You know, Scripture has over 500 verses about prayer. Scripture has over 500 verses about almost on faith, but has more than 2,000 on money and possessions. Jesus talks most about kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. But after that, 16 of his 38 parables refer to money. There is this relationship between kingdom of God and how we partake in living out, fulfilling that kingdom plan of God and the way we steward the finances that God has given us to manage as his manager. And how we manage will affect the way we help join and live out the kingdom value and the kingdom desire of our king. I do a lot of financial counseling and I've met and counseled people who made just over $20,000 a year, but they're out of debt, they have a budget, they're giving generously more than a tithe, they're saving more than 25%. And I've counseled people and families who've earned more than 200K, but they don't have a budget, they don't have a plan, they're spending way too much on certain categories, and if they keep at this pace, and they're not giving generously at all either, and if they keep up with this pace, their future, they may want to, they may have all the intention of joining God and serving God and whatever opportunities, but they will never get to that place of being positioned to be a blessing because intention alone cannot help us get there. According to the recent June 2017 survey by GoBankRates.com, 41% of males live paycheck to paycheck, and 56% of females live paycheck to paycheck. So that means if you don't get paid this coming month, you won't have money to live next month. It's like half of us statistically here if we reflect that survey result, are in that place. The couple of life decisions that we make that have great consequences, and certain life decisions are easier than others. I know I'm a sinner. I know Elder Jubin talked about and led us in time of confession. My heart wanders away from the God that I love a lot. I need to rededicate as Romans 12, 1 compels us, offer my body as a living sacrifice again and again. And I know I depend on God to be my savior. So to trust in God as my savior is relatively easier for me to do because I know I need a savior. However, the second decision to trust Jesus as my master, that's not easy. And that's a battle every morning that I have to fight. Will I offer myself as a living sacrifice? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's a wrestle because I want to be enthroned. I want to do things my way. And I might not say out loud to God, but I surely act as if I know better than God most of my time if I'm not careful. 
So if God is my Lord, if God truly is my master, if Jesus owns everything, my time, talent, and treasure, how I steward the financial resources that God has given me to manage has to be just as important as everything else. There's nothing more important than answering the question about financial stewardship than this question, whose is it? Because if it is God's, then every financial decision you and I make, we have to accept as reality is that it is a spiritual decision. It doesn't mean we can't have nice things or enjoy nice things or nice events and trips, but it does beckon you and me to think about these things in light of the fact that God, the owner, is giving me, giving you to manage. That the way I steward what he has given me temporarily reflects his desires and truly the expansion of his kingdom. Because I can have all the intention I want, but if I'm not positioning myself to be a blessing and managing my finances well for God's glory, I will forever be either in debt or enslaved to my desires and my whims. Parable of the Talents here reminds us that we are managers, temporary managers. And that means I think at the end, I need to, we need to ask God, what is your wish? And that we do that kind of process prayerfully, intentionally, inviting the master's input as we think about, plan, how we manage the resources. This time 20 years ago, I was working my first full-time job as a teacher way, way out there in boondocks in Wisconsin. Just graduated college, fall semester teaching at a private boarding school was starting up, and I was super excited. But before school started, before I got my first paycheck, I'm thinking to myself, I'm teaching at a prep school, I need more clothes. So guess what I did? I went to a nearby outlet mall and I shopped. I bought shirts, ties, pants, jackets. And it's not like couple, like, like dozens. And yeah, I know, it's a scary word. And I spent more money in my life that one Saturday than I had ever spent in my life before. And I'm thinking to myself, well, when I get my first paycheck, thinking private school teachers don't get paid much, but I didn't know better. Anyway, I'm thinking I can pay it off. But, you know, being placed in a dormitory with a bunch of ninth and 10th grade boys, I need to set up my living room, my bedroom, my kitchen, my bathroom, just to begin with a couple of things that I will need. I realized, man, I have a lot of expenses. So when I first got my paycheck, there was no way I was able to pay that off. So this time, this is what, October, second week, this time 20 years ago, I was hurting. And the first Thanksgiving that I experienced going through as a full-time worker, I was not very thankful. 
And the first Christmas was miserable because it took me forever to pay off my debt because I stole money from myself, my future self, and spent all this money, and I had to pay for it. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you have. Most people that I counsel have done the very thing that I've done, and I know what it feels like. You know, today's passage, Matthew 25, is positioned in the context of all the other parables coming before and after, and it's about the returning Christ. Christ will return, and as scary as it may sound, he will judge us and see how we have lived out our lives. Because faith that is living, that truly trusts in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that life cannot look the same as everyone else's life. And the way we prioritize how we live, especially the way we spend our money, needs to, ought to reflect that kind of priority. The parable that comes right before is about the parable of the bridegroom who comes and the virgins who are waiting, and it bids us to be intentional, vigilant, because he's going to come. We don't know when, but we should expect it, so be ready. And this parable comes right after that. Know that Jesus will return and settle accounts. So make sure we manage and steward faithfully. And the passage, the parable that comes after, is a parable of, you know, Jesus, son of man, coming in glory, and Jesus uses a parable of, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, how we serve the least of these, you have served me, passage. God will return in his son, Jesus Christ, and will judge us. I was talking to someone Two, within the past two weeks about the Adventist church. He was speaking very ill of the Adventist church. Uh, you might have heard of Seventh-day Adventists, etc. Now, the Miller writes originally back in 1844. I'm not condoning people thinking, oh, they can guess when Jesus returned. But the, one of the focus or the origin of the uh, Adventists is that they thought, that, uh, Miller thought, he, he knew when Jesus was going to return. I mean, that's foolishness. But one of the things that I am forever compelled to learn from the Adventists is that they do still live expecting Christ's return. So I can't help but wonder if a non-believer were to look at my life, maybe besides me going to church, will they see something in me that makes them think, man, the way Paul, the way that my, my friends live out their life and spend their money actually reflects a different kind of priority that puzzles me. Hey, maybe they really do believe that Jesus will return because they don't do everything that everyone else is doing. Will they say the same for us? So if I am God's CFO and God, upon his return, audits me, what will he say of me and of us? The faithful servant here, when you read this passage, reminds us that he loved the master. You can kind of feel this excitement as he comes or she comes with this 
doubling of five talents to two talents. Like, master, look what I've done. I've made twice as much. Look. Kind of like my kids coming and showing that you know, picture or they don't do that anymore. But I say, hey, look what I did, dad. It's like, master, look what I've made. There's that joy and anticipation of that approval because he knew the expectation. He's thrilled, and the Lord rewards the faithfulness and invites into the joy of the intimate relationship even more and gives more responsibility. However, when you see the wicked servant, there is this kind of disdain and resentment. It's like he doesn't quite get the master, actually. He thinks he gets the master, but he doesn't. There's anger, there's self-justification, there's accusation. And the master condemns him, rebukes him, removes whatever little he had, and casts him away and calls him wicked and lazy. The judgment is based on use, misuse, actually. Back in the 12th century, or even before, when the Crusades were happening, um, the Crusaders would often hire mercenaries because they were short-manned. And before these mercenaries would fight, they would get baptized. And they'll go down in droves into the bodies of water. But what you would notice is these soldiers, mercenaries, paid soldiers, would come, in, go into the water with their swords sticking out. They'll walk in because they want the freedom to wield their sword however way they want it. It's like, I'm going to get baptized, but what matters most, my sword, because, you know, I'm a mercenary. I don't want this baptized because I want to be free to wield this and use this however I want. I wonder how many of us here we recognize the lordship of Jesus, but we wield our wallets, our purses. Like, God, I want you to have all of me. I love you. I trust you. You're my master. I give you my time, my, my talent, my abilities. But, Lord, with, with the money that I get to earn because of the way you have gifted me and given me ability, this part, Lord, I'm going to do this my way, so I'm going to stick this out. So I'm going to give like, all of me besides this. I wonder how many of us find ourselves living this way. I've made plenty of mistakes, foolish ones in my life. And some mistakes take a lot longer to get out of than others. A couple of years ago, when I was serving at my previous church, um, on a Tuesday staff meeting, I was told that Due to some budget constraints, the mission team that went out every year to this place in OMAC, Washington, the budget would be cut basically by half. Um, it was a fair decision that church had to make, but it wasn't a decision that an average congregant who went to that mission was ready. They just didn't have the information to prepare for that. And this was a spring as announcements are going to be made. And when I found out about the news, I was just really mad at the church and at God. It's like, God, what are you doing? Because I'm going to be announcing this soon. And then the very next day, I get a random call from a friend that I haven't heard in about three or four years. 
And he tells me, hey, Paul, like, my wife and I have been just praying, and I felt compelled to call you today and ask you if you had any financial need, because I felt like God was telling me to give whatever you had need for. And I'm like, it's like I was complaining to God the very day before, and here was God answering. And I told my friend, well, actually, I was complaining to God about this thing that happened yesterday that I found out and how that's going to affect the team. And then he just asked me, so how much? And, you know, I told him, well, the cut would be basically from, you know, $800 support to $400. And I, he asked me, how many people are affected? Maybe about 16. So right then, he wrote out a check for, I think, $6,400. And he mailed it that week. Made out to church. We deposited it. And I've been thinking about this story for quite a long time. This happened three, four years ago. And I'm amazed because here's a friend of mine who is just, he, he, he loves Jesus. He's, I, I know he tithes regularly, but this is God prompting him and using him to be a blessing. And he's obedient. He's a high school teacher. And he and his wife, and the wife owns, I think, a small business that she, she started up. And they have decided what they needed as a family and whatever above and beyond, they, they would save. And when God prompts them, they, they give. It's an amazing testimony of so that any one of us, if we so desire, can be part of. But the key is intention alone is not going to actually help you or me be positioned to be that generous. It's because they decide on the size of their cup for their family, and when God filled it up, whatever overflew, they saved it. And when God poked, they listened, they obeyed. And it's not just a wish. They get to be part of that testimony of being a blessing in God's larger kingdom. Intentions are great, but intentions are never enough. If you and I really want to be positioned to be a blessing and be part of living out and expanding God's kingdom work, knowing that he's going to return and he's going to hold me accountable, then I have to be positioned. But to be positioned requires work and discipline, requires intentional evaluation of how I steward what God has given me. Brothers and sisters, I want to just invite you as you examine your life. I believe that all of us here, we depend on Jesus as our Savior. And I believe that you want him to be Lord. I invite you to seriously think about the lordship of the finances that God has entrusted to you. You are his CFO. He will return. And he will, whether you want to use the word audit or take account of how we have managed what belongs to him. God wants us to have a life that brings glory to him. Enjoy life, bless your family, be able to have fun. However, that in and of alone cannot be the goal. 
And God wants us to, whatever decision we make with finances, keep him in mind, making sure we are asking, how does this fit in or align with his wish in my life for his kingdom? Pastor Eugene and I will have the opportunity of leading a couple of classes this fall. Um, In a couple of weeks, Pastor Eugene will be um, leading a seven-week class on discipleship. And I want to encourage you to think about and commit to coming on Wednesday nights to grow and mature as Christ's follower, as a disciple. I think it would be an amazing opportunity for you guys, all of us here, to grow and be challenged to mature in our faith journey as a follower. And I'll be teaching a class on Sundays, 145, for six, seven weeks on financial stewardship, combination of practical Skills to spend less than you make. How do you live with a budget? Think, knowing that, you know, what we believe God has set in my priority in my lifetime reflects the budget that I've set, as well as understanding and learning from Scripture, what Scripture has to say about finances. So I want to implore you, we have both sign-up sheets outside on the, um, um, the board, so I want to encourage you to sign up. Because at the end, I believe all of us, I, want, I know I do, we want to hear at the end when he comes and looks at us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray.